Greetings, groovers, seekers of sophistication and lovers of literature. This is Resonance 104.4 FM. Flipping marvellous. How you doing? I'm Nick Hennigan. And uh, yes, I know, someone has to be. I'm Nick Hennigan and this is Literary London on Resonance FM where we talk about things kind of literal and Londonish, although not exclusively. Uh, we have listeners all around the world, I'm glad to say. Hello, listener, all around the world. And, uh, of course, uh, if you'd like to get in touch, then please do. Um, I think if you'd like to get in touch, uh, if you're a writer, let me just tell you about this before we get stuck into the meat of today's programme. If you're a writer who writes out of home, um, let me know, because I'm putting together a book. It's going to be called, it's not Ego, let me tell you, it's gone through a committee. It's going to be called Hennigan's Good Literary Pubs Guide. Uh, and it's a good pubs guide, but it's not a good pubs... Oh, you remember pubs, you know, before they were locked down again. Yeah, they're coming back soon. Oh, yeah, it'll all happen soon. Uh, so, uh, yes, it's a, it's a good pubs guide, but not as in, you know, what's the best beer or um, what sort of drinks do they serve. It's a good pubs guide for people who like to go and create. Maybe you write in the pub. Or maybe you even draw in the pub. Maybe you just go to the pub because you normally work at home and you need to get out. Um, whatever the reason, if you do create at all in a pub, uh, then please let me know. Drop me a quick line, uh, an email, um, radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. Uh, and also, if you'd like to be included in this new book, uh, I've taken care of a lot of the West London pubs and some of the Soho pubs. But wherever you are listening to this, wherever you are in the world, if you're a creator and you'd like to write a review of your favourite pub, look at things like uh, why is it a good space? So it's, the beer could be a consideration, maybe, if you're a beer drinker. But it's more about the ambience of the situation, the ambience of the place, um, what the staff are like, how good is the Wi-Fi? All these things are important. Is it airy and friendly? So uh, if, you'd, yeah, if you're taken by a particular establishment, I guess a coffee shop would do. But of course, coffee shops certainly in the UK all tend to close at six or seven o'clock at night. Most of them anyway. Uh, so there is only the pub. That's my excuse. Hmm. So if you do, if you create at all in a pub, do drop me a line uh, and write a review. 500 words. Um, you'll be included in the new book. Uh, and you will also get a fee of one pint uh, on receipt and one pint on publication. So that's pretty good. I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, as a bohemian writer myself, two pints, that's a good commission. Uh, so, yeah, if, you, uh, if you're interested, then do say, drop me a quick email. Or if you know any writer friends who are interested in being in this book. And then we're going to publish it. Uh, I won't talk too much about that now because we've got to sort all that out. And then um, any proceeds are going to go to two charities. So uh, I hope you're excited about that. I'd like to kind of get it done by the time that the pubs in the UK open this year. Uh, in uh, April, isn't it? Or well, actually May, I think. So springy time, springtime. It'd be nice to publish it by then. And most of the books are already written. There are pubs in uh, London, as I mentioned, particularly West London. Not so many East Londons, actually, and not too many Docklands. So if you're around those areas, then do let me know. Uh, there's also a few Birmingham pubs, of course, being from Birmingham. Uh, a few Edinburgh pubs going to the Edinburgh Festival. So it's basically me, isn't it? You know, all the places I've been to. Um, and good Lord, I've been to a few. Uh, and if you have as well, uh, join in the fun. 
just write a review, 500 words, about why you like a particular pub to write in or create or draw, what the staff are like, what the Wi-Fi is like, and then uh, we'll publish your story. How's that? Okay. In return for, you know, a pint on acceptance and a pint on publication. You can have any pint of anything you like as long as it's not a spirit, yeah? Okay. Good. Now then, talking of opening up and pubs and things, I, I meant to do this some time ago, but uh, you may or may not know that I am a writer. I write uh, stuff and I also produce theatre and direct, mainly producing at the moment. Uh, and a lovely thing that I started a couple of years ago with the Maverick Theatre Company was a thing called the Speakeasy Cabaret. Uh, it came about, it's quite a long-winded story, so I won't bore you with it. came about through me talking to some comedians at the Edinburgh Festival uh, and a spoken word event. And I always quite fancied the idea of doing a spoken word event where anyone can just come along, stand up and do a, a, a little dissertation or a poem or whatever it is. Um, and so for, oh, crikey, let me get my years right. I think it was 2018 I launched. Was it 27? 2018 we launched it with kind of um, Edinburgh names. So a lot of the top names that I met in at the Edinburgh Festival, I kind of didn't bribe them, but, you know, they, they came for like four pints. Uh, they came down to have a, a showcase in the centre of London, in Soho. Uh, and it worked really well. So we got unknown writers, people who'd never done anything before in public, and we got some really famous uh, comedian-type names. It worked really well. And that went well. Of course, the pandemic completely closed it down but I recorded one of these sessions um, it's about an hour long I think offhand I've got to go through the farm myself uh, with a live audience and I thought as we've all been in lockdown for such a long time it might be nice to share one of these speakeasy cabaret sessions so what I want you to do now on Resonance FM is just kind of chill back like that yeah relax and imagine that you're in the upstairs room of the Wheat Sheaf Pub on Rathbone Place in uh, Fitrovia, W1, just off Oxford Street. You come in the front door, wave to David, Duffid, all right, Duffid, and the lovely bar staff. You know that the one, the, I forget the girl's name from Australia, lives upstairs here, yeah, so wave to her as well. Hello, she's lovely. Uh, you can get a pint down there because the bar's not open. Get your pint, go up the stairs, and welcome to the Speakeasy Cabaret. Oh, yes. And I should point out that the following program contains adult themes. You have been warned, <laughs> but enjoy anyway. Greetings, groovers, seekers of sophistication and lovers of literature. Welcome to Resonance 104.4 FM and Literary London. And this time, this time, look around. You can tell it's in stereo. This time, we're live in Fitrovia. Hurrah! <laughs> That's very good. Well done. Thank you. We should have practiced that one. Should we? Um, so, welcome to the Maverick Theatre Company's uh, Speakeasy Cabaret. Um, just for those of you that don't know, the Maverick Theatre Company was set up on a council estate in Birmingham back in uh, 1992, 94 actually, a long time ago, by me. Oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> and a musician mate of mine called Robert Williams. Uh, and uh, just to fill you a bit on the background, I wrote a version uh, of Shakespeare's Heavy the Fifth because uh, uh, I was working on radio and I thought it's an unsatisfactory job it's a bit unstable I'll go into something nice and secure like theatre 
So I've learnt that lesson, uh, and I wrote a version of Shakespeare's Henry V, uh, and Rob, a mate of mine, did an original soundtrack for it, and Jasper Carrot's manager saw us in Birmingham and said, we'd like to take you to the Edinburgh Festival in 1992. And I'd never been there, uh, so uh, I went up there and was kind of blown away by it, about the democracy and the accessibility, and so we came back to Birmingham, which for those of you uh, not of this nature, is, uh, of this nation, is, is um, just sort of um, north of London. <laughs> uh, I would have been in so much trouble from my mates for saying that. Yeah, north of Watford Gap. No, there is life north of Watford Gap. But I, uh, uh, and so we started Pub Theatre, which didn't exist there, and did it for a few years. Henry V did quite well, uh, critically, in Edinburgh. And it went to toured the UK and Ireland, and it went to America and toured over there as well a little bit. And so the Maverick Theatre Company has still been going uh, all this time. Uh, and, and it's all about access, so we've had lots of uh, new people that came uh, working backstage and you know, working in front of house and as actors who've gone on to do great things, uh, and I'm really pleased about that. And this idea came around because of being in Edinburgh. Has anyone been to the Edinburgh Festival? Yeah. 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 You know, it's, and the comedy sort of stand-up circuit there can be very brutal. Uh, and this is the antithesis of that. So we started to speak Easy Cabaret, uh, and uh, uh, it, it really is just a way of, of someone coming along, doing a reading in public, uh, and, and being supported, really, I suppose, is the nicest way of putting it. So what's going to happen tonight is, for your entertainment uh, and delectation, uh, we'll be doing this radio show, we'll be going out in two halves, by the way, over two weeks. So if you're listening live now on FM, hello, how are you? And if you're not, you can catch this on the LondonLiteraryPubCrawl.com podcast page on the website or at mavericktheatrecompany.com that's got all the dot coms in but tonight my darlings we've got three uh, people in fact I'm going to do a bit myself I don't normally do that I want to read a little bit from something I wrote uh, in 1997 uh, which was a kind of a journal thing that I did which I'll tell you about in a bit but we've got some brilliant readers tonight and I know I know uh, well I know one or two of them so we've got uh, from whereabouts are you mate whereabouts in London? London Ely from Ely we've got the legendary Frank hooray <laughs> we've also got someone who since she's been doing this and she comes in occasionally has got a two book deal I think is it a two book yep. deal publishing deal exactly. this is whereabouts are you from now I'm, I'm always West London yeah. and I live currently in Isleworth Isleworth it's the lovely Zoe <laughs> And uh, a first timer for us here, which is great. Uh, from uh, whereabouts are you from? I'm from Dublin originally. Dublin originally, yeah. and now you're in Bayswater. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it is. The, it's the Bayswater Irish. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, it's Eamon Summers. Hooray! Yeah. Hooray. Uh, so what I thought we'd do is, um, I will. St- Who wants to go first? Shall Frank? Do you fancy going okay. first? So, uh, and just, if you need a chair, help yourself. There's a beautifully placed, by the pub, a place to stool here, or if you need to get yourself a chair. Uh, and then, uh, and if you'd like to introduce yourself, Frank, and also tell us uh, what, you know, bit of context, that's what I was trying to say. <gasps> oh, mind you, that. Right, and I'll, do you want me to record all this? Do you want me to record you all this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to have to unlock it. You've got a posh one, haven't you? You're just bigger than mine. I've had! Just turned me to carry on up the stack and carry on. Brilliant. So, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Mighty Fang! Yes, I'm probably 
simply frank for a variety of reasons. Um, it was partly tongue-in-cheek. And um, I write short stories and some poetry. My stuff un unconsciously seems to be more performance-related, so I, I prefer to perform it rather than people read it. It just seems to come across better. And um, that's about it, really. Um, just doing the, doing the rounds and various venues, hoping to get a bit better known. And this story is called <coughs> Pistols at Dawn. Dawn rose, farted and put her panties on. She surveyed the stained bedclothes, wreckage of last night's lovemaking, and thought of how in some countries the sheets were hung out of the window to prove that the bride had indeed been a virgin. Dawn was no virgin, not even a born-again one, and she smiled as she gathered up the sheets. The smell of him was still there. Oh well, just another in a line of men. Her eyes flicked up to the large dark brown glass jars that were on the shelf over the bed. Her surgeon father had given them to her, saying, you never know how handy they might be. <coughs> Little did he realise how right he was. She didn't want to wash the bedclothes. It was too much hassle having to soak them, put them in bio-liquid and conditioner and blah, blah. Better just burn them and pretend it was a funeral pyre. She took them down to the incinerator in the basement, which she liked to call her dungeon. It was very hot, the furnace had been on all night, and now she wanted to get rid of those sheets. Maybe she should have done that last night, but it was nice to sleep on them and remember how great that night was. It had been your usual sort of pub where you could pick up single men or married men posing as singles or singles posing as married men. They thought that actually increased their chances. She rarely went to the same place twice in a year. She wasn't that promiscuous. So here she was, dressed to kill, dressed in the way that simple man-minded men liked. It was too easy. The man called himself Dave. She had seen him at the bar and it was the usual dance, the meeting of eyes, and the offer to buy her a drink. Yawn. Do you come here often, he said. Only if I've got my vibrator with me. <laughs> really? Wow, cool. You do, you do it here in public. She ignored him. Strange how men lose their sense of humour when they're horny. She asked him about his day, and he rattled on about something or other, and Dawn was getting impatient. They both knew what they wanted. She leaned over and murmured in his hair tufted ear, Let's go home and mingle body fluids. He looked startled and touched his front. Donna noticed this peculiar trait of men. She once asked her friend Mandy why they do that. Mandy had looked at her pityingly. You don't know much about men, do you? A man's best friend is not his dog, it's his cock. Don't be fungal, you're making all this up. It's true. Why do you think men keep touching themselves? Just check, it's still there. He's terrified one day that his best friend will just up and leave. Can't say I blame it, being constantly stimulated as if it were a piston in an engine. Dawn had laughed. However, it was not long before she noticed that men did touch their penises more than was necessary. Not that the penis had much say in the matter, and she felt a growing sympathy for their plight. She also discovered the bit around the penis called man was boring. A penis gave her pleasure, and a man gave her grief in countless ways. Sure, penises could be demanding, but once satisfied, they just went to sleep. Not so a man who constantly worried about his status. Women were trophies to be shown off, although men were not that choosy when it came to a knee tremor in a back alley or a counter in some grotty flat. It was all Mandy's fault. Before Mandy, Dawn believed that you, could have, you couldn't have sex without love, so fell in love, got married, but even then she felt something was wrong. If she had a 
headache, her beloved would sulk and become petulant like a child not allowed to go out to play. She also noticed that he had other faults, such as not bloody seeing when jobs in the house needed to be done. You've a better eye for that, Dawn, he said in his usual condescending way. The only time the tables were turned was in bed. She could make him into a moaning wreck in no time at all, no time being the operative phrase. Usually his last words after he got off were something like, finish yourself off, love, I'm knackered. <laughs> then one night she decided to finish him off for good. <laughs> what are you looking at? Dave's voice brought her back. Oh, just wondering why men keep touching themselves. Our balls get out of place. <laughs> you must have pretty damn mobile balls to keep doing it all the time, Don said, and gave her a vodka a quick slur. Dave said, not, said nothing and patted his dangly bits. That's right, say goodbye to them, was what Dawn wanted to say, and had to suppress a giggle. Oh well, better get it all over with. She hated men who felt the need to engage in polite conversation before getting their kit off, and Dave was one of them. Lovely house, he said. That armchair, that armchair must have set you back a bit. Georgian, isn't it? She prayed he wasn't gay. A present for my ex, she said. Would you like to see the antique commode in my bedroom? She led him upstairs. He didn't give the commode a glance. He seemed more interested in the glass jars above the bed. What's in them? Oh, just some silly collection of mine. Thankfully, he didn't pursue the subject, and at last his eyes turned to the bed. She stripped him because her men always liked to be stripped. She toyed with the idea of using her teeth to pull down his trousers. But remember the last time she did that, the man had been so excited that she'd nearly lost her front tooth yanking the damn thing down, and no man was worth losing a tooth for especially considering the fortune it had cost her for a bridge made by a Harley Street dentist. Finally, she got everything off. She looked at his heaving belly and resisted the urge to stamp on him as you would with a revolting hairy spider. He lay there waiting. She started the next phase of the pantomime and did a slow strip tease, except it was more tease than strip, and she hurried up when he started to snore. She sighed. It was not a good idea to have an ego in this game. She woke him up by tugging at his most interesting bit. Uh, what? Drool trickled down his chin. She gave another tug and thought that her experience in milking cows at the family farm did not go amiss. He's called Percy, Dave said. Oh, how imaginative! <laughs> <coughs> you, you really think so? It, took, it did take me some time to come up with that name. It sort of popped into my head and Percy popped up, so he must have liked it. Don't wish the thing would pop up now. Go on, he said. Say hello to Percy. It was at this point Don seriously considered becoming a lesbian. Uh, hello, Percy. I'm sorry, I don't think he heard you. Don leant closer. Hello, Percy. Percy twitched. See, he likes you. Well, he's probably got more personality than you, Don thought, and felt a wave of sympathy for Percy. However, there was a job to do, and Dawn flexed her fingers and got down to a bit of manual dexterity. Soon, like all the others, he was moaning and squirming. Dawn was mentally running through her shopping list. Some, some, some nuts, chipped apples, and maybe a chicken. Ah, yes, she hadn't had cockle van for some time, and that reminded her of Percy. Poor Percy, she looked at him. She could tell he was aching to get it all over with. <laughs> I know, Percy, I know you, f you feel, I know how you feel. Don't worry, not long now before you're free, she said. <laughs> what you doing, Dave said, and raised his head to look down at her. I'm giving Percy a break. 
A break? Jesus, he doesn't need a break with you. With, what are you on about? It's not for him to decide. We're talking about me getting my end off, not some bleeding break like it was time for tea in a Kit Kat. Dawn sighed and looked at Percy. She opened her mouth and smiled, her bridge glinting in the light of the bedside lamp. She considered using the old ice cubes and coffee routine, but rejected it as a sensation of cold and then hot caused men to orgasm, orgasm too quickly, and that would ruin everything. Instead, she opted for the velvet swirl, something that made men hit the roof, yet not be premature. Yes, yes, they murmured, moaned and squirmed as her tongue whirled like a rotary lawnmower. Eat me, yes, give us some tea. He was nearly tugging her ears off. Eat me, eat me. Oh, oh, oh. don't say, I will. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, the legendary Frank. Well done, Betty. I feel a bit guilty being a man now. <laughs> um, so, uh, who wants to go next? Do you, want, do you want to go next? Okay, in that case, this is the first time up. First timer, so uh, be very kind. The book's well. I'll let you tell uh, everyone about it. But a big round of applause for Emma. Hi, I'm Eamon Summers, and I've written a novel called Dolly Considine's Hotel, and it's going to be published by Unbound.com um, later this year, as soon as we raise all of the funding. So we've got about 15% of the funding to be raised yet. And I'm hoping to pick up some funds here this evening. <laughs> so I'm going to read three extracts. And then if I'm running out of time, I hope I'll be get the bell. Tell me to stop. It's not that kind of place, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the nod. Thank you. <laughs> so Julian Ryder and Dolly McLean, um, knee Considine, have little in common. Julian is an 18-year-old aspiring writer, fleeing a life unlived, and Dolly is knee-deep in running a hotel populated by family secrets and Dolly poli dodgy politicians. Most of the novel is set in 1983, when, where Julian is making up stories about Dolly's family and the hotel guests. But in this first extract, set in 1956, when Dolly's when young Dolly is approaching her third year of running the hotel, left to her by her, her aunt. May 1956. Dolly was cleaning room 11 when she found the box on top of the bedside locker. She recognised the name printed on the side from hearing it whispered in the bar and knew the contents purpose immediately. The box went straight into the wastebasket carried from room to room and slid beneath the jumble of empty sh shampoo sachets, bits of cotton wool, train and cinema tickets and the long blue wrapper from a bandage as well as the old bandage left by the woman in room six. I've lived and worked in England for nine years, the man who'd occupied the room for four nights had told her as he settled his bill. In Ballyliffin, County Donegal, my fiancé has waited these six years, a model of Irish womanhood. The house her father and brothers built for us has stood forlorn for nearly four years. It needs a woman's touch and the patter of tiny feet. Dolly was tucking in the bottom sheet when she recalled him even earlier at breakfast, tucking into his bacon and eggs and being just as florid 
in describing his fiancée's nut-brown hair and comely figure to another guest. Had he already abandoned his condoms by then, or had he waited till he returned to the room to collect his suitcase? A symbolic marker between his temporary existence in Birmingham and his real life in Donegal. Legal in England, an offence in Ireland, but sinful everywhere. When she retrieved the box from the basket, she found that one of the greaseproof envelopes had been opened. Had the contents been used and washed for reuse, or been abandoned after the paper was torn? She imagined his partner asserting herself, perhaps at the sight of him fiddling with the wrapper, balking at the idea of committing a compounding sin, which with worse consequences than just pregnancy. Dolly used her duster to clean streaks of shampoo from the cardboard and put the pack into her apron pocket. A frisson of some sort ran through her at the thought of offering <coughs> to, a naked, to a nameless man, trying to balance a sophisticated casualness in her manner with the need to prove she was not a loose woman. Hours later, while registering a married couple from County Tipperary, she wondered why the Donegal man had risked the danger of customs officers searching his luggage and publicly shaming him, only to willfully abandon his condoms in the Curra House Hotel, when he could have passed them on to a friend, or even made a little profit. There was only the briefest question of the open condom ever coming into intimate contact with Dolly before she flushed it down the second floor toilet. Would she regret her squeamishness when legal replacements were impossible locally? She smiled at the Tipperary man being clutched by his wife as he signed the register and wondered if he was the sort of man to put an unwrapped condom back into the box. She wasn't sure how it was going to happen to her, and she didn't have any man in mind. But she felt a longing, not just in her head, but down below also. The unopened companions would be the agents to her own unlocking. Behind her smile, she giggled at her silliness and handed the wife the key to room 11. So in the second um, extract, Julian is in the bus station. It's June 1983 and he was supposed to be going off on a trip around Europe with his friend Jonner. But Jonner has stood him up, and the money that they've saved from selling Julian's brother's jazz records has been confiscated by Jonner's parents. Julian found a seat for himself and another for his backpack, a coffee and the recording of a few observations about travel and travellers would pass the time until the record stall in Georgia Street would open and he could sell the box set of Charlie Parker's recordings. Adventures begin in bus stations, Jonner had told him when he was filling his head with images of beat poets and musician-filled greyhound buses heading across America and magic buses leaving from Amsterdam for Greece in a cloud of hashish smoke. But the list of small town destinations above the departure bay conjured up nothing except more of the gombean Irish shite Jonner said they had to get away from. Yet all around him German and American and Swedes were lovingly mangling the names of Irish towns. 
He put his coffee on the floor between his kegs and took his journal from his backpack. Images bubbling over in his head. The 50s decor, the country people up from the city for shopping and the young foreigners looking for the authentic Irish experience. But his own situation came first. Living the spontaneous life can be hard when your best friend takes all your money. He wrote, pleased with himself for the compactness of the sentence, although the can be was weak. It had to be more direct. Money-stealing friends stifle the spontaneous life was better. Except he wanted the sentence to start with living, not with money. Jonner was over. Julian had to embrace the triumph of life, not the power of betrayal. You don't mind, do you? A North of Ireland accent announced from beyond Julian's bag. The chair between them briefly empty as his backpack was moved to the floor and its place taken by a bigger, fuller bag. I need to check the address I'm going to. He was maybe a year older than Julian, his dark suit a match for the suits he saw outside the funeral home on the Cabra Road, except this boy's tie was school-striped, not black. And at that point, we leave the pre-recorded show. Uh, there's some great stuff to come in the next episode, uh, and you'll hear the end of this, and also stories from West London. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that little look inside the Speakeasy Cabaret. Uh, that's it from me. I'll see you next time. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Residence 104.4 FM. <laughs>